Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 6, Episode Worldcon Number 1, Suspension of Disbelief. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we have special guest star, Patrick Rothfuss. Hey there. Who has clipped... <laughs> And in case that's not coming through the microphone, we have a live studio audience here yes, and at uh, Worldcon 69. Special studio, which is just a con room. Um, no, we're very happy to have um, Pat Rothfuss. He's one of our favorite guests, and we really appreciate him coming. And um, he has clipped his microphone to his beard. Um, if you um, are not aware of this, it's quite amazing. So we're going to talk about suspension of disbelief because we actually could not believe um, note that pun, that we have not done a Suspension of Disbelief podcast. So somebody define this for me. Dan, oh. what do we mean by this? <laughs> suspension of Disbelief is where the uh, reader or, uh, or audience, I guess, is able to say, well, I know that the dragons aren't real, but I'm going to pretend like they are for the duration of this story. Yeah. Or whatever your fantastical element is. This is the really kind of the great skill of writing fiction, right? As you're writing it, you need the reader to dis- suspend their disbelief that it's not real. But then you add on top of it that all of these weird things that are happening in a fantasy story could actually be plausible. And even beyond that, that the characters are able to accomplish all these things, that the coincidences are not just coincidences, or that they feel like it's really a story and that you're not just kind of making things up. Um, and so we're going to talk about doing that. And I'm going to actually ask Pat. Pat, how do you get readers to suspend their disbelief. Do you have any suggestions? Uh, it is probably, I think, the, the second hardest thing a fantasy author has to deal with. <coughs> I think the big thing is not writing a st- For me, my trick is that I try not to write a story that is too tidy. Um, I read a story once where every character with a name showed up during the final epic battle against the bad guy to do their part so that they could win. And the first time I read it, it was a good book. And the second time I read it, I was like, really? The world doesn't work like that. And it wrecked the whole book for me. Uh, It was too tidy to have anything resembling 
verisimilitude. Uh, and, and that's what I always strive for is the oh, verisimilitude. That's, that's great. I mean, I've noticed this, even something as simple as um, the cliche of there's a map in the front and then the people visit every point on the map. Yep. Suddenly, it's hard to believe um, that it's real. Yeah. Mary, suggestions? Well, one, of the, one thing that you can do is, um, as, as Pat has, has mentioned, make sure that you are inserting things into the world that are just part of the world, that are not actually plot-specific, although you have to be careful that you don't just get fluffy at that point. The other thing is to be aware that you can only ask the readers to suspend their disbelief about so many things. Uh-huh. And that you have to kind of set up very early on that you're asking them to make this, this disbelief, that you're asking them to believe this thing. Like, in Little Mermaid, mm. I had absolutely no problems with this girl with a fishtail living in the ocean. No problems at all, because the title of the story is The Little Mermaid. They right. told me right up front what I needed to suspend my disbelief about. The storm that blows up out of nowhere in the ocean, I'm like, really? You couldn't see that coming from the horizon? Guys. Right. right. It's weird <laughs> how we do this, but we do. We do this. In my experience... The readers, especially fantasy and sci-fi readers, are much more forgiving of like the addition of magic, a strange creature. But if you ask your reader to suspend what they already know about human nature, they will not go along with you. And it doesn't matter how much realness you've built into your story, if you have a guy and a girl and they're together in a relationship and the guy cheats on her, we know kind of how that script takes place and she's not going to bring him a bunch of roses and a box of chocolates afterwards. Um, we know that people react in certain ways to certain stimuluses and dialogue progresses in a certain natural fashion. If you go against that grain, it goes against everything that we've learned since we learned language and you can't win that fight. Dragons are acceptable you know, your girlfriend saying, you know, I think the neighbor is cute. Or, you know, hey, yeah, my sister is hot. Why don't you go out with her, too? That just doesn't happen. <laughs> well, but, See, but that can actually... Do you want to jump well, in? Well, I was just going to say that, that that's an important place. And we started this by talking about how, you know, suspension of disbelief has to do with dealing with the fantastical elements. But it starts at those core elements. You can completely disbelieve normal human behaviors and character motivations... Um, if they're not done properly. But if they are done really well, your readers are going to be a lot more willing to accept the ridiculous stuff. If they're already sold on your uh, characters and they love your you know, story that you've got going on and they like all of that, they're going to stick with you even when those fantastical elements start to show up. And, and the thing is that it's all about laying groundwork. Like in the example that Pat just gave us of, of the, you know, yeah, go on, have, have sex with my girlfriend. <laughs> That, that can work, not that I'm recommending it, <laughs> but, but if you have laid the groundwork for a relationship where that is something that, right. that is an agreement that they have, then, then it can work, but it's all about laying the groundwork. If you just spring it, if you spring any element in the middle of a story, um, you know, it's the deus ex machina. It's like, really? Really? Yeah. yeah. The president just arrived to save these people? And he hasn't been anywhere ever in this story. Right. It, and it, it's, there are these two different elements because everybody knows about Chekhov's gun mm -hmm. where he says if you're going to shoot somebody later on, the, the, the gun should show up on the mantelpiece. Uh, it's I, actually opposite of that. Oh, is it the other way? Yeah. If there's a gun on the mantel, you need to shoot someone in the eye. Is that three. what it's yeah. like? I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> because 
Because if you've read, say, 50 books in your life, and people always follow this rule, then you read the first 20 pages of a book, and you're like, and I know what's going to happen. So you have to put guns on mantles to screw around with your reader at some time. Yeah, you've got to have four guns on the mantle and then wondering which one's going to get fired. <laughs> well, I, yeah. leave, I leave guns all over the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I promise my readers that somebody's going to get shot with a gun in the third act, but many of those guns are red herrings and the rest of them are actually foreshadowing. I think it's, it's much better to say that if you're, in terms of giving your readers something which they can reasonably expect and swallow, you don't need to show the gun, but they do need to know that guns exist. Right. It's the mm -hmm. type of story where someone can get shot. Yes. Um, oh, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, and it, it's also what Howard said is that you, if it's just one gun, then, then you know it's going to be used. And I think what Chekhov was actually getting to with that is that it's if you place a lot of emphasis on something that you, yeah. if you call attention to, to yeah. it to the reader, that that's where you run into problems. This, and is, this is a Western with guns, but if you didn't have a story where people weren't getting shot in that story, yeah. it, it feels like you're breaking a promise to the reader. Exactly. Um, but I feel we're getting a little off topic. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's bring it back um, to suspension of disbelief. Do you try to build upon your suspension of disbelief? Meaning, um, and this is kind of a leading question, I apologize for it, <laughs> but the idea being that, well, what a reader accepts at the end of a story is that is there a greater level? Can you push them further than they would at the beginning? Be able to at the beginning? You know, I, I think you can effectively do the slow sell because mm -hmm. some things people will not buy at the beginning of the story unless they trust you as the author. There, there's several different levels here. If I sit down and I read a book from from Gaiman, I'm instantaneously bought in, and I'm uh, all of my defenses are very low because I'm trusting him as an author because I love Neil Gaiman. But a new, a new author, first book, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm cringing a little bit thinking, are you going to screw around with me? Are you going to let me down? But then there's what exists in the book itself. And you can build up like a society and show me the small strange things and explain them so that by the time you get to the big strange things, I'm already nodding along with you and I'm kind of I'm in for the ride at that point. Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. 
Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, let's break for our book of the week. Uh, we want to actually um, suggest that you listen to The Wise Man's Fear by Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mm, I can't believe it. <laughs> that was just Shocking. a coincidence. <laughs> no, um, this is a fantastic book. Um, I absolutely loved it. I wrote a big, long, nice review of it on my website, so you can read that. But it's just it's a delightful book. Um, it's well worth listening to, and you can um, download a free copy. Um, Howard's going to tell you how. Uh, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can kick off a 14-day free trial membership. Download uh, Wise Man's Fear or another book of your choice for free. And, and if you haven't listened to um, the first, uh, The Name of the Wind, you probably should pick that yeah. one instead. Might, might want to start, <laughs> yeah. might start yeah. there. Please. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw a question at you, Howard. Okay. Um, with a suspension of disbelief, what is the... Um, how often can you use a wink at the audience? Meaning, you'll notice like if you're watching an Indiana Jones film, sometimes he will look at what he's just accomplished and just be, you know, just astounded that I just do that. And it actually helps with the suspension of disbelief, I feel. If the character themselves is incredulous that this actually happened, somehow it works. Um, you do this a lot. I, I do this a lot, but the example I want to lean on is from Pirates of the Caribbean 4, where Jack Sparrow, we've, we've seen the first three movies. that we, Jack Sparrow does these crazy swashbuckly adventure, swing through the air things, and it got, it got kind of tiring by the end of the third movie. You think, how, how does he, because well, they weren't nodding at the audience and saying, yeah. you know, how does, he, how does he do this? And then in uh, Pirates 4, there is a scene in which we get to watch Jack Sparrow planning his escape. He looks at the chandelier, he looks at the napkin, he looks at the chair, he looks at the window, he looks back at the chandelier, he kicks a muffin, and it sticks to the chandelier because he's trying to get a snack. And then, and, and then his plan starts to unfold. And as I watched this, I was delighted because the first time in any of those, any of those movies, they actually addressed that sometimes he does plan this. Now, for me, um, I'm not doing the swashbuckly stuff, but yeah, sometimes... I'll turn to the audience and, you know, and throw a footnote. And it's part of the punchline. 
I get away with it because I'm just writing humor. I think Pirates of the Caribbean expected us to believe it because sometimes they're just doing action. Mm. Now, Pat, you, um, you kind of do this a little bit in that what you will do is in order to help us suspend our disbelief, you will have the main character, Quoth, who is um, first person narrative, say, you know, he will actually try to show how realistic something, some incredible thing he did, he'll actually try and take it down a few notches for us in order to make it more believable. Um, you know, like the quote, the bloodless or whatever. Like, was this an intentional thing in order to help us with uh, suspension of disbelief? Did it make me look clever? Yes, it did. And then I did it on purpose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm having trouble suspending my disbelief about that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it's, it's hard for me to think about what I do in the moment while I'm, while uh -huh. I'm writing some of these things. The, the stress between the story that he's telling and the story, the true story of his life and sort of the mythic story of his life, the folklore of his life, um, I think the fact that he himself is saying, no, actually, this is what you've heard, but it really wasn't that cool, it inclines the reader to believe him because we expect people to brag about themselves. And when somebody comes out and says, eh, you know, actually, it wasn't that cool, and I got really lucky. Why would he lie to you about that? So that I did build yeah, in specifically. I really specifically. think that, that since we're giving, this is a writing advice podcast, it works really well. Um, we, we see it in this current trend in films. Batman Begins is a great example. Um, and this is just a matter of laying the groundwork and making it look really real. This is a guy who dresses up like a bat at night and goes and punches people dressed like clowns in the face. Okay? This is ridiculous. This is actually kind of stupid. But you watch these films... And by the end of the film, you're believing all of it. It doesn't feel stu stupid. It feels cool. And that is because, point by point, they make every part of this ridiculous narrative sound plausible. And even, you know, it's not even plausible. It's like, of course that's the way it would be. Brandon, I think the principle there is that we're not, we're not being asked to believe the big lie up front. Yeah. Yeah. We're being asked to swallow a bunch of very small ones. Hey, his parents got murdered by bad guys. I can believe that. Oh, hey, he, uh, he was psychologically traumatized. I can believe that. Hey, he fell into a well and got scared by some bats. Oh, I have heard about kids falling into wells before. <laughs> so far, so good. And, you know, bit by bit, we build this incredible mythos. So, yeah, by the end, he's dressing up like a bat and mm. punching clowns in the face. <laughs> I, I, I'll also throw in a, a great tool that doesn't get much, uh, much airtime these days. Uh, like so much of uh, the rhetoric, uh, the old dead Greeks had it figured out long ago. It's a term called bathos. Um, and what it is, is it's a dramatic, it's an undercutting of an otherwise dramatic or emotionally intense scene. The master of this, like he masters so much else, is Joss Whedon, of course. Where you'll see something happening. And the one I always think of, Angel and Buffy... Are, are hugging and they're having this touching emotional moment and he goes you know I remember the first time I saw you you had your you know it's like you were holding your heart and you were all I wanted to do was take it and and shelter it and cover it with my own and they're hugging and there's this pause and she goes that's really sweet or really kind of icky if you think about it <laughs> and then he goes yeah I was just thinking that too <laughs> And it's perfect because that's what we're thinking. As the audience, we're like, ugh, you, you cover his heart with your heart. That's, that is, that's icky. And the fact that they recognize it, that means they're having a real emotional response to what's going on in there. And it's also 
keeping this scene, which could become really smarmy and, and saccharine and disgusting, he pulls the rug out from under it, and then you laugh. And so you get the emotion and the laughter, and you keep the verisimilitude. Bathos. It's, it's a great tool. It's very tricky to pull off, but it's really worth it if you can put it in your toolbox. Um, I have one more question before we uh, end this podcast. We'll go just a, a few minutes long because actually a, a member of the audience asked this question of us that spawned this whole podcast. And I want to go actually back to it because we haven't addressed it. What they actually asked is, how do you create tension in a first-person narrative that the character is in danger because they're obviously not going to die? Which for me is the greater question of suspension of disbelief. But writing a book that's got a first-person narrative, Pat Rothfuss, how have you done that? How do you address this? You know, honestly, it never... It never troubled me very much because, I mean, sure, killing somebody is terrible or somebody dying is dramatic, um, but there's way worse things that can happen to you than dying, and that's drama. Um, I mean, you don't need to die to or be in threat of death to have to like raise the stakes of your narrative. Um, it's sort of like you don't jump straight to killing somebody. Um, you, there's a lot of other things you can do to ruin a person's life that don't involve taking them entirely out of the picture. The other thing is, I don't know what the other thing was. I had two things, but one of them is gone. <laughs> well, let okay. me comment on what you just said yeah. very quickly. Um, the bully character in your magical school story yeah. worked really well for me, whereas Draco Malfoy did not. Because in the Harry Potter series, it was not presented to me as a series where the bully is the big deal. Mm. And in yours, it was, because we were so sold on this character, and we liked him. And so every time somebody did that, you know, some more horrible thing to quote, to quote I, that's, like you say, that's what got to me. And it's because of the way you presented the story, and this is the style it's going to be, and this is the way the character is going to function. If you, if you can sell a small story to people... I mean, it's one thing to have a story where, I mean, the dead are walking and, you know, there are terrible things in the night and everyone's dying or you have the plague or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's automatically high drama. But you don't need to blow your special effects budget like this. You can have, I mean, a, a dramatic story is like a woman in a house with a baby and it's dark outside and something is moving around the house. That's, that's drama. I mean, I could throw a dragon in there too, but I don't need the dragon. Um, I, don't, I don't need a machine gun. Um, but that said... I need a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> the um, woman in the house needs a machine gun. Um, and so that's, that's why I never had to worry about, oh no, they know that he's going to live through this. Oh, that, this was my second thing. It actually goes back to what the... The Star Wars prequels did so wrong. They had an incredible storytelling opportunity. We know where it's going to end. And so the opportunity they had was to show us the path that you take to become Darth Vader. We know that it ends as a tragedy. So all that's important is the play of the thing. But the play wasn't very good, so we didn't give a damn. Um, if all that mattered was fear of somebody dying, you would never, ever read a book twice. But we do read books twice. You don't go to Oedipus Rex and go, oh, I wonder if this time he's not going to blind himself at the end. <laughs> you know it's going to end badly for him, and you watch it anyway. That's what drama is. 
Well, there's the Oedipus Rex RPG. <laughs> 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 All right. We're going we're gonna to take this out. Uh, Mary, you've got a writing prompt for us? Yes, I want you to write a story and make us believe one impossible thing. If you can't come up with it on your own, try teleportation. Okay. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.